Hello, hello, hello. Hello, everyone. And welcome to the New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall, but for ghosts. But for the ghosts. Adam, I have a question for you, and it's going to bother me. Um, Did we have more plants before in here? Are there only three? Weren't there four? No. Okay, I'm crazy. Don't and mind you, me. And here, here's why you're crazier. When I was away this summer, I know. <laughs> you watered them for me. That's why I feel a little like, bit like I've gone I insane. I feel like I'm missing a plant. I feel like I'm missing a plant. No, that... uh. When I was away this summer, Christina uh, uh, and my friend Natalie were on plant duty, and they would alternate when they came to my to my apartment to water Nat- my plants. Natalie watered the most because at, I was on. This guy COVID does not know what he wants to do in life. By the way, are you pointing to Ollie or to the big fat one? I don't know what you named her. <laughs> she, she's just going in all directions. But look at her root. <gasps> oh. Is it, she escaping? <laughs> it lost its it, it lost its lost its way. It wants to go in the dirt. I gotta like put it into the dirt and let her go. Yeah, the Adam's dirt. plant grows this weird root leg that it's sticks not, out from on top of the stalk, not under the ground. It doesn't sprout a new root even, under the ground. It just like begins at the yeah. stalk and then starts moving to the ground. It's, it's weird. It's because the plant wants more more. It wants to get bigger, and so I need to put it into a bigger um, container. But they're so expensive. <laughs> right. Fair. So for. The low, low price. <laughs> Speaking of expensive, we have a Patreon. <laughs> and here's the thing. Plants are really important in the process of recording a podcast. Obviously. <laughs> Where else do we get our oxygen? <laughs> Where else do we get our oxygen from in, in this in this recording studio? Um, no, we're kidding. But while, we are, while, while we're on well, the, While we're talking about it. While we're talking about Patreon, um, as always, if you'd like to support the show in any way, um, help us out and um, head over to our, our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash NY Mystery Machine. For as little as $3 a month, you join this really great community. For as little as $5 a month, we get you a, a Patreon exclusive every month. Um, there's there's a new one currently up on the Patreon, so you can do that. And as you go up the levels, each level comes with even more perks. And you know they range from you know um, voting power for an episode. So um, this month, one of our episodes is going to be chosen uh, from one of our patrons, Christian Wrench. He he's on that level, so he's going to be voting for which um, episode he'd like to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this month's theme will be um, a bunch of hotels. He's going to choose his favorite hotel, Ooh. a haunted hotel in New York. And so. They also range from from other fun things, stickers and and mugs and stuff like that, and of course, obviously, the, what was taken the 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 social media by storm, <laughs> because our most liked photo on Instagram <laughs> is this photo of Christina eating the sandwich of the month. Um, so every month will be a new photo of Christina eating the sandwich of the month. <laughs> uh, worry not, listener. And um, so yeah, uh, at, if you if you give us a hundred dollars a month, you get all those benefits. At, plus, you'll get a sandwich that I curate, send to you um, each month. I'm really looking forward to this month's sandwich. This one's gonna be a good um. No, it, it, uh, you, you, you get one hint. Mm-hmm. Think Thanksgiving. Mm. Um, so this, but it'll have a nice spooky little twist to it, as we often do. Um, so yeah, if you want to help us out, and then other ways you help us out is if you head on over to iTunes, you head on over to Apple Podcast. Um, or even Spotify or Audible, you can give us five-star rating. And if you're doing that on Audible or on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, you can also give us uh, a review and say what you like, what you don't like. Um, let us know. And then if you do that, you enter into our Listener of the Month contest, and we announce your name on the air, and uh, we send you some swag. Yeah. Fun, fun How stuff. Nice. How nice. <laughs> I realized that the minute we started talking today, 
like we barely talked about podcasts. Like I was like, it started with plans. Then I went to yeah. sandwiches <laughs> and giving us money. And uh, here we are. They know why they're here. Something, something podcast. Something, something <laughs> goes. Them. I don't know. Tammany, Tammany Hall. Tammany Hall. Christina <laughs> uses a funny voice. Adam uses a funny voice. Together they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. And so um, we're just, we're just excited to be rolling around. Uh, you know, uh, all new episodes through the end of the year, basically. Um, yeah. A special Thanksgiving episode coming up. Mm. A special Christmas episode coming up. Mm-hmm. We have little treats for everyone. Yeah, it's gonna be wonderful. So really excited. Uh, well, that that leads us to the to the ever ever important question: Where are we today, Christina? We are smack dab in the middle of New York. We're in the year. Well, but like where? I know. Well, okay. Like I in should... the middle of New York. Um, New York State? City. Sorry, New York oh, City. Well, that's what I like to hear. I know. I, I and for I you, like, what's the middle of New York City? I feel like we've done this before, and I think um, oh yeah, we have done the emotional core of New York City is Queens, and no, the actual just... core. Actually, I think the I forget where there is a. But this someone's done the math on this. No, there is. But like the center of New York City, in my mind, that's not the emotional heart and blood and lifeline of this, is Manhattan. Yeah, I would say. I'd say. I mean, I hate saying it, but it's Times Square. Oh, okay. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, as as a New Yorker who's like... I didn't pinpoint it in my mind specifically I think in that way. When you think of the heart of New York City, it's like Midtown Manhattan. I think it's like... And the, the middle of Midtown is like Times Square. That's what I would think. I don't know. All I, right, so we're a little bit I just think whenever, uh, off center from when, the center when, of New York. Yeah, yeah. When everyone <laughs> thinks of the heart of New York City, I don't know. If you're... As, as For me, if you're not from New York City, especially if you're like, you know, like, you know, North Dakota or something, mm-hmm. someone's like... Uh, what do you picture when you picture the hard New York City? I think they're picturing the lights of Broadway. I think that's what. Yeah, I, I, that's what yeah, I'm that makes sense. I don't know, but we're not there. We're, not we're a little there. bit further south. It's <laughs> fair. Sorry. Um, so today we're going to be traveling back to 1841. Ooh, I love when we're, we're in that different century. I was going to say, you know me, I love me a, an, an old old case. Um, July 28th, 1841 is where we're going to start with our little teaser, and. What I'm about to say, it doesn't actually happen in New York, so bear with. Uh, a few men are walking around the New Jersey shore of the Hudson River near a place known as Sybil's Cave when they look out into the river and see a bundle of cloth, maybe clothing, floating along. They somehow get a boat, and this bothers me because I'm not exactly clear how they get it. Were they just walking along and they found a boat and they absconded with it? Did they like say, floating clothes, I must go and find me a boat and save them? I'm not really sure. No one says. Um, but they somehow get a boat, and they paddle out to the, the the clothes and discover it's not a loose pile of clothes at all, but the body of a woman. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yes. You hate to see <laughs> you it. You hate to see it. You're like, ooh, clothes. Got free clothes, yes. Great day. <laughs> just like oh. a dead girl. <laughs> can, you ima- but can you imagine? I don't know. Part of me probably thought they thought it was something suspicious and that's why they go check yeah, it out. Yeah, probably. But what if they were like, ooh, free clothes. Ooh, free clothes. That'd be... You know, that's my, really disappointing. My heart would like just explode and I would like... I, I'd, I'd go crazy. Yeah. For and many I, reasons. Many I, levels at that point. Yeah. I'd like to be checked into an institution because I'd be like. Ah! <laughs> so the men bring the deceased woman ashore and they call the police, um, which because it's 1841, I imagine involves like a relay race with people running to go get the coroner to go get the. Oh, my people. God. Um, the coroner investigates the body and upon a closer examination determines that a thumb and a finger mark could be identified around her throat. And the verdict was eventually that she was choked to death, killed in an attack by several persons. Uh, this case would go on to flummox investigators, captivate the public, and inspire poets. Here's how the New York Police Gazette wrote of today's story in 1881. The annals of crime are gorged with mysteries. 
The red band of murder has set its mark on many of its pages, but left no sign of its identity. Of all the episodes enshrouded in this somber incompleteness, there is none more tantalizing than the case of Mary Cecilia Rogers. So, Mary Cecilia Rogers was born to a woman named Phoebe. Um, Phoebe, for the record, is going to figure somewhat prominently in this story and um, has the saddest freaking life. Um, she was born to a wealthy Connecticut family in 1778 and married her first husband, Ezra Mather, at age 17. She had five kids with him. He suddenly died of an illness some years later. So she remarried, and her second husband was Daniel Rogers, son of yet another fancy Connecticut family. And Mary was their sole child. Uh, she was born in 1820 in Lyme, Connecticut. But within a few years of Mary's birth, three of her older half-siblings died. Jeez. So that hold that hell there were there were six kids now there are three and daniel rogers himself was killed in a steamship explosion so within a very short time this poor phoebe has lost two husbands three children jeez um and uh spoiler yeah (laughs) spoiler it doesn't get any better for phoebe um By 1837, the Rogers family was financially destroyed. Um, Phoebe was doing her best to raise her children. But again, this is an age where marriage is the closest thing to a retirement plan for her. Um, And she's a widow, so she has very few options. Uh, In 1837, the country was also seeing a market downturn. There were crops failing the eastern sea seacoast the eastern seaboard rather um just just on the coast (laughs) oh crops are failing i don't know maybe maybe we're worrying them too much that salt water doesn't seem to be doing the trick (laughs) this corn just will not grow on the sand (laughs) the whole eastern seaboard is like thrown into disarray the banks are in crisis um and so in an attempt to make uh find a new way to make ends meet phoebe moves to new york city with mary now, at that point... What a weird decision to make. I need to make money. Let's go to New York City. Fair. You know, I, I that's a good point. Um, I don't know what the logic there was. I, I mean, I, I, I suppose that at this time, the cost of living in New York wasn't so high. Well, right. And opportunities to do more things were higher. Right. I think that's exactly so. it. I think, yeah, I have a feeling that New York City wasn't exactly... Now, it's like, <laughs> I'm like I want to make money. Well, don't, don't come go to, to New, New York. York. Um, Phoebe, by the time this happens, for the record, is 60. And that's when she's, like, starting her life over with Mary. At 60? Yeah. Poor girl. Yeah. Um, So she had been fairly high status in Connecticut. She moves to New York. She is not high status anymore. She's unknown. Um, Not to mention all the troubles and sadness she's been through. Uh, But she does have a little network. So through her second husband slash Mary's father, um, they have a family friend who was... Uh, Daniel Rogers' business partner. And he's in New York, and he is a man by the name of John Anderson. Now, John Anderson was renowned for his tobacco business. He had a tobacco emporium not far from City Hall and near Newspaper Row. Um, John Anderson was also a bit of a tobacco maverick. So apparently, he was an early adopter slash pioneer of using tinfoil to wrap your cigar to prevent it from getting wet and damp and weird. Huh. Um, who knew? Uh, and he did well enough to invest even in the uh, the Broadway and 7th Avenue railroad line eventually, which was um, what the 123 is today. Kind of cool. Um, but his uh, important was perfectly located, had a good location that resulted in judges, government workers, artists, politicians as his frequent patrons. And so everyone from James Fenimore Cooper, Edgar Allan Poe and Washington Irving visited this shop. 
So Phoebe and Mary rely on John Anderson. They stay with him when they first move to New York and take care of household chores instead of paying rent. Um, and at age 17, Mary was a really beautiful girl, and Anderson knew it. She had long, dark hair, what people called a dark smile and a good figure. And then, like now, sex sells, and Anderson knew this. He suggested to Mary that uh, she work the cigar counter in his store, the idea being that a pretty girl behind the counter, seen through the window, would encourage patrons to come in and purchase something from her. Is she the cigar girl? She's the cigar girl! Oh, my gosh. And it's, I say this, you guys, because... Christina and I spend so much of our time just researching different things, and sometimes we'll like something we'll, we'll we'll see something, and the way the article we read, the their headline is different than another one. So I've seen the headline girl. with the the missing cigar girl, yeah, the beautiful cigar girl, yeah, yeah, the, the missing cigar girl, so many times, mm-hmm. and I've also seen Mary Celeste Rogers right. so many times, but I've not put them together. As they a are unit, one in the same. same. That's the big reveal of this episode. Nothing else we can talk. <laughs> Well, this is bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so she's the cigar girl. She's hired to sell the cigars from behind the counter, positioned carefully so that like everyone can see her through the window. Um, and it's worth noting that it's worth, it's worth noting, noting <laughs> that this practice of hiring pretty uh, girls as clerks and shop girls was pretty standard in Europe, but was considered very coarse and unrefined and inappropriate by the more prudish Americans at the time. So Phoebe only allowed her daughter to work this position in part because Anderson swore up and down that Mary would never be on her own in the shop and would always have an escort back home. And the gambit worked. Sales of cigars took off. Mary flirted right back. And within a short uh, time period, Mary Rogers was a bit of a minor celebrity, the pretty cigar girl. Um, and in the words of one customer, Quote, at least some of those who frequent Mr. Anderson's shop have no other object in mind than to preen and squawk before the young lady. And po- and squawk. Oh, isn't that great? And poems were written about her, too. Adam. Oh, I get to read a poem? You get to read a poem today. All right. She's picked for her beauty from many a bell and placed near the window Havana's to sell. For well her employers are aware that her face is an advertisement certain to empty his cases. <laughs> Alas, that necessity ever should force a female to such an unwomanly course to make her a magnet to draw in the spoony, the coxcomb and puppy for the sake of their money. I like that, that that little I know, I that love- slanted rhyme. <laughs> yeah. That's a slanted rhyme, folks. Cooney Muni Muni. But still tis our duty in every sphere that providence places us meekly to bear. And none and in none upon earth can honor be stained if our own self respect is with firmness maintained. List not the flatterer's vows, they're a joke. Like the weed he is smoking, they'll all end in a smoke. Reflect on the danger that hems in thy station and come out unsullied, exposed to temptation. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. That was fun. <laughs> um, that, that's some, of those, some, some of those. Some of those rhymes work if you do them in like a, a really posh accent. Yes. If, if I was reading like a like yeah, you can't flatly those slant. I was just but, tis, teach, but was, still tis our duty in every sphere that providence places us meekly to bear. Well, actually, that kind of works. works <laughs> just a girl from Queen. That, yeah. one, that one works too. I guess those are the two. I guess uh, her, her, yeah, I guess her Queen's English and her Queen's English. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> 
Um, I was just so taken with like all of these poems that are written about her. Um, so there was one that was published in the New York Herald too, very short. She moved amid the bland perfume that breathes of heaven's balmiest isle. Her eyes are starlight's azure gloom and a glimpse of heaven, her smile. Um, people are in love with this people girl. People are in fucking love with this, in girl. love with this girl. It's a girl. <laughs> she sells cigars. cigars. I love cigars. I like girls. How good. <laughs> All these things are my favorite things. It's girls and cigars. Come, Patty, let's go get some cigars and see the girl. (laughs) So so things uh, were looking up, basically, for Mary and her mother at this point, right? She's got a good salary. They're, you know, working it out. And Mary and Phoebe um, move in with Phoebe's sister in New York, um, a Mrs. Hayes of Pitt Street, eventually. And then something peculiar occurs. In October of 1838, just about a year after the mother-daughter duo arrived in New York, Mary disappeared from behind the cigar counter. And later that same day, Phoebe Rogers discovered a suicide note left behind, according to the papers. The son wrote uh, that, quote, The cause of this wayward freak of the young lady is supposed by her friends to be disappointed love. She, having recently received the addresses of a certain widower, who, is, it is said, has deserted her. And by his desertion has brought upon her a state of mind which has prompted her, it is feared, to commit self-destruction. Now, mercifully, Mary was returned home safe and sound just a few hours later, per at least some of the reporting. Um, some said it was a huge misunderstanding. She'd merely gone to visit a friend in Brooklyn. Others said it was a hoax. Others said it was, you know, she went to see her aunt a little ways uptown. And other people said it must be like a business scheme. Like, oh, the cigar girl went missing. Uh, but yes, she's back within just a few hours. Put that in yeah. your head. I mean, I do understand the. I mean, I have all those theories. The oh, the cigar girl's missing seems like the most valid one. Mm-hmm, that's like an advertisement ploy, basically. It's like oh, the cigar girl's missing. The cigar oh no, Patty, the cigar girl's missing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it's like, well, we not New York. Here she is. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> um, and so. It's also one other theory, just for the record, is that it might even be like a journalistic hoax for what purpose, I don't know. But apparently around this time in 1835, the sun had reported um, discovery of life on the moon. So, you know, things are just really the Wild West in the reporting world of New York at this time. But hold on to this disappearance. How does the sun, how does the sun like determine that? From where? From where do they get this information? The sun. I, I just, I just, I just, I didn't go too far, but perhaps that's a future. That publication's like, you know what, I'll just sell some peeps. Life on the moon. Life on the moon? Life, Life on the, the moon. moon. Life on the moon. So apparently there was this whole frenzy of media attention. And it was, a, again, it was only a few hours she was really gone, but it, I guess word got out and spread like wildfire. Because Mary was apparently miserable from all the reporting and attention. And especially upon her return to work, there was this huge crowd that had come to observe her. She lost the taste for the business and her... Um, half-brother had amassed apparently a huge amount of money at sea business trade plunder who knows um but he gets this huge amount of money as a sailor and he helps her get out of the cigar business and instead sets her and her mother up as proprietors of a boarding house on Nassau street and so mary leaves a cigar counter um side note just to uh continue phoebe's really shitty luck oh phoebe. um within a few months of this the son would be knocked off of his ship by an out-of-control sail and die so now she's down to, I believe the count is two. Well, you know, this is going. <laughs> it's really dark. I didn't realize just how dark, I always, like, that aspect is. Every now and then, like, I listen to one of our episodes, and I'm like, on a different podcast, 
this is so somber and yes. so serious and there's intense music playing yeah. on ours. On ours. <laughs> My funny, we have like, we have weird accents and we're just laughing. Oh. <laughs> we're bad people. It's a dark comedy, really, podcast. Right, exactly. Kind of what it is. You laugh at the tragedy to highlight how tragic it is. Exactly. Um, so uh, the boarding house was a three-story brick building. And um, I know we've mentioned boarding houses a few times so far on uh, the New York Mystery Machine. But I only learned in doing this that apparently they were pretty novel in this time period. They were pretty new. Um, and were especially useful for women who needed employment as widows. So we're well, not employment as widows, but like we're widows in need of employment. Guys, I really um, need a new job. I guess my husband can die. I'll just get some money from that. <laughs> so... Um, you know, in this boarding house, um, Mary was uh, taking care of three residents along with her mom, right? So that's Alfred Cromlin, who arrived at the Nassau Street residence in December 1840. Uh, he was a law clerk and tried to pursue Mary romantically. And Mary sort of like entertained it for a bit, but never really took it seriously. There's Archibald Padley, who became very close with Cromlin, but doesn't seem to have had a romantic interest in Mary. And then there's Daniel Payne, also a resident at the time. At the same time as Cromlin and Padley, um, Payne was a cork cutter, a heavy drinker, and known as a bad boy. And of these three, as you may have guessed, Mary went with the bad boy. Um, so Cromlin and apparently Phoebe were very distraught by this, like really upset. And one day in June 1841, Cromlin arrived home to find Mary and Payne in an amorous entanglement. Uh, Cromlin proceeded to lecture them. Uh, Payne was snide and Cromlin packed his things and moved out in like a huff. And interestingly, so did Padley. Padley saw Cromlin leave and was like, oh, Cromlin, I, w I won't stand at this house either anymore and also left. Side note, I have a theory that Padley's in love with Cromlin, but here we are. I want, I'll, I want to see that movie. Yeah, I want to see that movie, That's too. That's the movie I want to see. Um, <laughs> also, this girl goes missing, but more important. But really, it's a love story. The love story. Padley and Cromlin. Um, uh, so Padley also leaves. Um, but as, as they are leaving the premises, Cromlin tells Mary he will always care for her, and if she ever needs anything, to call on him. Sure. This brings us to July 25th, 1841. It was a hot day, approaching 93 degrees. Mary did her housework and then put on her Sunday best, which was a white cotton dress, a bright blue scarf for her neck, and a straw hat and parasol. That's her Sunday best. Straw <laughs> hat and a parasol. Girl. <laughs> At 10 a.m., Mary knocked on Payne's door and told him that she was going to go visit her aunt, Mrs. Downing of Jane Street, and was going to go to church with her. And she planned to take an omnibus. Now, apparently that's just a horse-drawn... Is that many buses? It's many buses. It's basically just a horse-drawn wagon. That's or gonna all buses, rather. It's all the buses. It's all the buses. Drawn by some horses at this time period. Um, and, uh, you know, that's her plan for the day. And then she said, you know, why don't you meet me at the, the intersection of Broadway and Anne near the Barnum Museum later that day so we can walk home together. Great. Two things to note. One, Mrs. Downing would later say she had no idea Mary was coming to see her. Two, Mrs. Downing... Um, was one of the excuses, this aunt was one of the excuses that was used during her disappearance in 1838. Tuck that into your hat. Now, I can't believe I wrote it again. It's worth noting. It's worth, it's worth noting! Um, we gotta do a better job at not screaming that into the microphone, but it's just to the right of the microphone. Well, can't have everything. But I'll, I'll work on it. Um, so a few days before her disappearance, I couldn't quite figure out where to put this in, but a few days before her disappearance, Mary had been overheard telling Phoebe um, that she would stop seeing Payne 
And on that very same day, Cromlin received a note asking him to come by the porting house. Now, weirdly, it was in Mary's handwriting, but it was signed as Phoebe. Um, so Cromlin showed Padley, I guess, these, you know, these two, if I think it's not requited love, honestly. I think, no, clearly. clearly yeah. right. um, and when Cromlin arrived at work, there was a second note. This time he apparently had like a chalk slate hanging by his door. And there was a note there, too, saying, you know, to Cromlin, please come and call as soon as possible. And through the keyhole was a red rose. But Cromlin decided not to do anything about it. It had only been a month. He, you know, was really upset about how things went down when he left and he just hung out with Padley the rest of the day because of the love because of the love and whatnot um so meanwhile Payne spent the day this July 25th right um hanging out with his brother he went shopping he went to some taverns he had lunch he took a little nap and then he went out to meet Mary right because they're going to meet up at that intersection um he goes he waits then he realizes the omnibus doesn't run on Sundays Hmm. Weird. I guess Mary just walked uptown then. Fine. Then there's this giant. But Mary said she was taking the. She omnibus. said she was taking the omnibus, but like maybe she forgot Sundays. Oh, I don't know. Whatever. But she was wearing her Sunday best. But she was wearing her Sunday best, so clearly she's she aware knew, it's she Sunday. Knew it was Sunday. And she's going to church, so she knows it's Sunday. She got a straw hat on. Um. Then a thunderstorm storm passes through, and Payne is like, "Well, I don't think she's going to be walking back in this. She's probably going to stay with her aunt." I'll head home. So he heads home and there's another aunt at the boarding house. She's like, yeah, that makes the most sense. She'll probably stay with, you know. So much for that. They're not going to panic about it being, you know, that she's not home that night. She's probably with the aunt. But she doesn't return by the morning. She doesn't return by lunch. So Phoebe is very quickly beside herself. And Payne starts to check in at a few of the taverns nearby in the hopes that maybe a friend or acquaintance had seen her. And then Payne walks over to Mrs. Downing House, this aunt, right, on Jane Street. And Mrs. Downing says not only had she not seen Mary at all the next day, she had never had these plans. So now Payne starts to, you know, get a little bit anxious, too. He goes up to Harlem and then he goes down to Staten Island. He goes all across New York City looking in on friends to be like, did you see Mary? Um, And no one knew anything. So he went to the New York Sun and he put the following ad in the paper. Now, he withheld her name uh, because he didn't want the same kind of like kerfuffle of embarrassment that she'd experienced the last time she went missing. But this is what he puts in the, the paper. Left her home on Sunday morning, July 25th. A young lady had on a white dress, black shawl, blue scarf, leghorn hat. What's a leghorn hat? It's a big floppy hat. So leghorn hat. It's like those hats you see. We'll, we'll, we'll try to post a, a photo on the socials. It's the like has little flowers on the big brim. It's a big brim with all those flowers on it. You see yeah. a lot of paintings or a ribbon. But it's a straw hat. It's a straw hat. Um, <laughs> light colored dress. Uh, yeah. Light colored shoes and a parasol. Light colored as well. It is supposed some accident has befallen her. Whoever will give information respecting her at 126 Nassau Street shall be rewarded for their trouble. Now, a couple of days go by. Wednesday, Cromlin finally is shown yesterday's newspaper with this missing persons ad. And even though he had somehow heard through the grapevine on Monday that she was missing, um, this is what makes him go, oh, shit, she's it, real missing. And I assume like, they didn't want to like tell people it was Cigar Girl again because then it's almost like, oh, this is clearly she'll be back. Right. And also she's not even working the cigar counter this time, right? So if last time, oh, if yeah, we assume fair. it wasn't a, like a like a advertising stunt, this time what's the motive? Yeah. Um. So it gets Cromlin's attention and, um, you know, Payne had spent the whole previous day searching. Now Cromlin joins the search. Um, 
And he goes with Padley. Of course. Because the love. Because the love. Uh, to Hoboken. Now, why Hoboken, you ask? Apparently, it was known for being beautiful and green and also having many, quote unquote, houses of ill repute. And the worry he had was that Mary, being so utterly gobsmackingly gorgeous, was accosted and brought to a house of ill repute. Um, because apparently there were you know, papers of the time were awash with these stories of wealthy men luring women you know, to something like church or a cup of tea and then secretly taking them to one of these houses and raping them. So that's the concern at this point. This brings us back to July 28th, right? So the search is going on. We started the, on July 28th. That's when these random people from New York out to escape the heat on the shores of Jersey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> out to escape the heat in, in Jersey. Cool, in cool New Jersey. <laughs> They're out for a stroll by uh, Sybil's Cave. Um, and they spot the body. Like, you know, you remember this. They bring it ashore. They wait the coroner. Um, and just so happens that at that moment, Cromlin and Padley are walking along, see them with the body, go rushing over, and Cromlin identifies it as Mary. Before we proceed with now what happens, the investigation, let's take a break. Sure. We'll be right back. If you ever look at our logo, you may notice a cute, furry, black and white creature hanging out the window. That's Ted. When he's not hanging out inside the New York Missing Machine, Ted is enjoying treats from BarkBox. BarkBox is the dog-obsessed company that's devoted to one goal, making dogs happy. It's a monthly subscription, totally customized box of themed toys and treats for your furry friends. BarkBox provides the best products, services, and content for pups, and their people. Every box brings your dog more than $40 worth of toys and treats. Your first box ships immediately. Plus, BarkBox offers a 100% happy guarantee. If your pup isn't happy with their BarkBox, they'll work to make it right. So are you ready to spoil your pup with a BarkBox of their very own? If so, head over to www.barkbox.com slash nymysterymachine. If you use our exclusive link, you'll get a free extra month of BarkBox, valued at $35, when you sign up for multi-length plans. Oh, okay, okay, Tedward. I'll say it again for them. Head to www.barkbox.com slash nymysterymachine and get your pup some treats today. And we are back. We're back. So Mary's body has been found, washed ashore uh, near Hoboken, sort of between Hoboken and Weehawken. Um, And it's been several days that she's been missing and probably several days dead. Um, Her body is very badly decomposing, um, especially because it's been in the water and especially because it's like 90, 90 plus degrees outside. Um, Admittedly, even Cromlin had been unable to identify her by her face, but more so like the clothing she was wearing. And apparently she had like distinctive patterns of hair on her arm, which I don't know what that means, but I'm real curious. Um, So the the coroner comes, guy named Dr. Cook, he conducts an autopsy. He concludes that she had not drowned, which would be the first thought, right? But 
um, he's, he, he figured that because of the way the blood was coagulated as well as um, other things, uh, her, her arms were bent over her chest and stuck there rigor mortis style and had to be forced away from her chest for examination, which doesn't happen when you drown, right? If you drown in a river, your arms sort of are more, they're floating, floating, right? Um, He also noticed, again, we mentioned this at the top, but that there was bruising on her, on her neck, roughly the size and shape of a man's thumb near the jugular and finger like bruises on the other side. And there was also a knot of lace found around back behind her ear. Um, so what he figured out from this was that Mary had been strangled using the trimming of her underskirt. And so she had actually been strangled two times, right? Once by hand, probably to render her unconscious, the other time with fabric to ensure death. Now, the coroner determined that she had also been probably sexually assaulted by several people, um, was then partially redressed. Her uh, hat was fastened with a sailor's knot back on her head and around her neck, and then she was placed in the water. Now, weirdly, the three men who found the body were told that they wouldn't be needed for the inquest. They go back home to New York. Um, And one of them, having found out who this was, presumably from Cromlin, um, goes to the Nassau Street boarding house to inform Phoebe what has occurred. Poor Phoebe. Yeah. And so he he would eventually report that um, he walked in. Phoebe and Payne were in the drawing room and he breaks the news to them. And they were weirdly indifferent. Um, Hmm. And even though it was early enough that you know, Payne could have gone to Hoboken to try to like identify the body or like, you know, in the hopes that maybe this isn't really Mary. Um, they didn't, they didn't do anything like that. Um, and, uh, Mary is, is sort of given a very low fuss burial in a shallow grave in Hoboken. There's this sort of funny moment where both Jersey is being like, well, this is uh New York's problem because she was, uh, floating down. She floated onto shore here, but like, that's probably not where she was murdered. And New York is like, I don't know. She washed up on your shore, Jersey. You deal with this. So there's sort of this just jurisdictional, non, you know, nothing is happening investigatively um, until the newspapers are starting to get so outraged by this that they put pressure on so City You guys Hall. figure it out. Figure it out. The cigar girl. It's the cigar girl. And so City Hall eventually is like, OK, OK, all right. Um, and so they exhume her body, do another round of um, autopsy work. And then she is buried um, on Varick Street, in a, you know, behind the church with her mother there. Um, Payne goes to identify the body. It's really, really decomposed at this point, right? Yeah. They don't they don't exhume her till August 11th. Um, yeah, I mean, so they spare Phoebe having to look at her. Good. But Payne goes and says, "I mean, yeah, this is this is her." And and Phoebe identifies the the clothing. Um, and at this point, the investigation starts to really ramp up, right? So. Any thoughts before I continue? Like any, like, do you have anyone pegged for? Her? Where is she headed? Theoretically, yeah, to visit her aunt to go to church. And where is her aunt? Jane Street, not too far enough that she was going to take the omnibus, but yeah, like not my, far enough that like she couldn't get there on foot. I guess my concerns are the following: um, if she does in fact get murdered in New York and floats to Hoboken, mm-hmm. that's a long float. It's a long float. Like that's. That's a long float, and you're assuming that the current of the Hudson River won't go any. That's going to just go straight across. Right. It's funny you should say that because one of the jurisdictional arguments is about which way the wind was blowing yeah. the current. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so part of me is worried that she wasn't going where she said she was going. Mm-hmm. Plus, 
on top of that, knowing that there is no omnibus on Sundays. Kind of weird. That's a little weird. Um, So that's my first thought, right? Like she going to ending up in Hoboken. It's a long journey from Jane Street Mm -hmm. or from wherever she from 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 Nassau Street where she's living to to Jane Street. Um, I'm so curious of how her body gets there. I mean, if we're just going to be okay with the fact that she was thrown in the river and Mm -hmm. the river got her across across to, to New Jersey. I think there are ferries. So like in terms of like, but in terms of the body, like, yeah, 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 that's what, that's what I mean. Um, so yeah, my next theory is the whole idea of like, well, then if if that's not the case, what was she doing in Hoboken mm-hmm. if she got murdered in Hoboken? Yeah, so, those are my yeah. Thoughts. Um, and these are definitely the questions that are swirling around the press's, uh, you know, minds as well. Um, Payne is initially a chief suspect, right? So he's sort of the rumored fiance. There's this. Um, Rumor going around that they people had seen Mary later on on the 25th when she first disappeared with a man. Payne didn't pick her up at the station because of the thunderstorm. You know, there's all these things that are like, could it have been him? If if Mary really was promising Phoebe, if that's true, what, you know, this maid overheard, which is one of the things that gets brought out in the inquest and um, the investigation, you know, is that she overheard Mary promising Phoebe finally, like, yes, I'll, I'll break it off with him. Could this be some sort of, um, you know, desperate move on the part of someone who doesn't want to be broken up with basically, right? Like this jilted lover thing. Um, But in the end, Payne is able to provide four affidavits, his own brothers who he had visited and run into several times in the street, as well as three separate tavern owners who he had, you know, visited over the course of the day. And they were all able to place him throughout Sunday. And then Phoebe herself, as well as the two aunts we've mentioned so far, Mrs. Hayes and Mrs. Downing, wrote letters noting only his his dedication to searching for Mary and that that couldn't possibly have been him. Sure, I mean, right. We've we, we've done a lot of episodes where people are like, I have looked everywhere for her. Right, and also like those other episodes, it's the same shtick here where um, there's this very. Uh, loud protesting that she was an innocent girl, very well behaved, very chaste, you know. Yeah. And no one ever has sex. No one has had sex ever. All these girls have never had sex ever. Um, Cromlin continues to maintain that maybe Mary was forced by a gang to like a house of ill repute. Um, they are not too far away from Five Points, which is infamously overrun with gangs at this we time. We spoke about Five Points like two weeks ago. Yeah, right? so, like, exactly. The idea of, of Five Points being so overrun with gangs. Right. Um. And then there was a new suspect. So a William Keacook, um, age 22, was a sailor on the USS North Carolina, which had been docked in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Um, now, you'll uh, I think I mentioned, you'll remember that um, the Jersey coroner said Mary's bonnet was fastened with a sailor's knot. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and furthermore, uh, I didn't say this, but apparently the way her dress was hitched, it was almost like someone had used it to create almost like like a, not like a sack but like as a hitch to like help drag the body to the water um and so both of those things sort of indicated that perhaps a sailor was involved which had them starting to look into sailors in the area who might know her and it turns out the key cook um i'm probably saying his name wrong but that's what it looks like. Key Cook himself admitted he knew Mary Rogers. He had stayed at the boarding house for two weeks, shore leave the previous year. And while he swore up and down that he was never amorous with Mary, he also admitted that uh, he thought her very pleasant and had visited her on July 3rd of 1841. What? So, right, that's just three weeks before her death. Um, Key Cook also signed onto his ship uh, in a very anxious state on the day that Mary's body was found. So, 
investigators put him in the tombs, um, that infamous uh, New York institution jail, uh, to smoke him out, basically. And despite the fact that they don't really have any hard evidence against him, right? This is all very circumstantial. Yeah, I get, I get very like, why, why, why is he so picky about his lies? Yeah, <laughs> like, I always think that's like, oh, I did see her that day. If he already murdered her, why would he even say I saw her that day? Right. There's, there's no reason to do that, right? Right. Like, it's just it's another lie. And yeah. you can say, well, what if someone said they saw him? Like, regardless, though, like that, right. just, it feels like the minute you say I saw, I knew the girl. I visited I, her three weeks before. I visited her three weeks before. This, that, and the other thing, I just feel like that, what's the point of that lie? Right. If, if it's a lie. Right. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah, exactly. So, in the end, they're unable to really tie him to anything. And they're, you know, they tried, they keep him there for a couple of days. They try to break him into a confession. And he absolutely stands by, absolutely not. You know, he was out with the girl that day, was not Mary. Yeah. Um, and so eventually they're forced to release him. And in the weeks that followed, numerous false leads are continuously investigated and dropped, right? So there was an abusive husband who doubled as an adulterous womanizer. Could he have done it? They looked at Padley, potentially. They looked at Anderson, the cigar shop owner. Even the idea that maybe Mary was actually still alive and well and that the body was misidentified. Because how could her body be, her body be so badly decomposed if it was only three days between her death and her discovery? I mean, in the water and in the sun. And in the heat. Yeah, really. Oh my gosh, yeah. But like it's all of these sort of just like grasping a straw theories and they all come to nothing. And then there's one other dramatic theory that really is the one that has had the the like real longevity. And that's because it was put forth by Frederica Loss. Now, Frederica Loss ran Nick Moore's Tavern near Weehawken, New Jersey. So again, not too far from Sybil's cave where the body was found. She was out collecting sassafras bark with her sons on August 25th, 1841. So just a few weeks later. Um, and she and her boys discover some clothing amid the thickets, a woman's petticoat, a silk scarf, and a strip of a white dress, as well as a parasol. So the remains of Mary's clothes. Um, and there was even a handkerchief with the initials MR. Uh, they wait a full week before turning this over to the police. No explanation given for why. Um, and so when the police talk to her, she gives a version of her story on July that on July 25th, a young woman and a swarthy young man arrived at her tavern, had some lemonade, and then went off. And that night, she said she heard a scream in the woods. Now, in one version of the story, she said, uh, it sounded like a woman screaming, oh, God, oh, God. And yet Lost then goes on to say, I thought it was my son. Okay. And went to check on him. And he was fine. So I didn't worry about it anymore. How was that? And then I assumed it was an animal, which is like the weirdest logic ever. Um Regardless, the police go, they examine the thicket. It gets called the murder thicket by the press. Um, And it's assumed that this has to be where Mary was killed. So they find like evidence of a man's heeled boot and a long violent struggle. They find tracks leading to the river and a line of dirt created by dragging something heavy. Now where exactly is this again? This is a thicket not far from the tavern that she runs. Near, I, I, yeah, what the... Near Weehawk and near Sybil's Cave where the body is found. So it's in, yeah, in New Jersey. Yeah. Um... And so the problem with this... Killing all the theories that she was killed in New York. Right, to exactly. This is now looking to be like the murder site, except for the fact that this is a month afterwards. So why is it so... still so fresh. Everyth- why is everything still so fresh? Why does it look like there was just this, this scuffle and the, these dirt patterns that like nothing's disturbed since then? As if it was 
pre-done to be yeah, able to think that. this is staged. They, they're thinking maybe, maybe this is staged, in which case, why is someone staging it? Is it the murderer? Is it Mrs. Loss for like trying to do like the cigar shop thing again? We're like, look, I found, I found the murder thicket. Come enjoy sassafras at my tavern. Um, mm. Which if that were the case, it worked. She, she does a hell of a business after this of like these rubberneckers coming through to gawk. Now, around this time, um, this all proves too much for Dan, Daniel Payne. On October 7th, Payne shows up at Weehawken, goes on a bender, buys laudanum, wept over the murder thicket very publicly, drank the bottle, and wanders off and is eventually found dead of the overdose near Sybil's cave shortly after. And in his pocket was a note that read, To the world, here I am on the spot. God forgive me for my misfortune in my misspent time. Um, and shortly after that, there's another major murder in New York. The newspapers move on. But Mrs. Loss has one last big reveal. And so November 1st, 1842, a full year after everything's happened, a full year after Daniel Payne presumably commits suicide, um, Mrs. Loss is accidentally shot by her son with a shotgun. Her son was cleaning a shotgun and it went off. Um, she quickly became septic and lay dying. And the boys were overheard commenting, I guess, while they were out getting help. The great secret will come out, which prompted the local investigators to come running. Um, and a judge like stayed by her side until she died, interviewed her sons in the hopes that she would say something. And after her death, this judge, Judge Merritt, files an affidavit saying that Mrs. Loss had been complicit in Rogers's death and in the concealment of her body. So this theory is that Mary Rogers had gone to Mrs. Loss to have an abortion. Mm. Now, there were some, this was a, like a really hot topic issue at the time. There was a Madame Restel in New York who had a clinic on Chambers Street and was in the press for, um, for a, a, an abortion that resulted in a woman's death. Um, and she did have a network in Hoboken. So perhaps this is what's going on here, that Mrs. Loss was a part of that network mm. or at least let her tavern be used as part of that network um, but the papers run with this and are like oh she confessed she confessed which isn't actually what happened it seems to be again very circumstantial information yeah. and the woman was dying of sepsis and in a delirium at the time yeah. so take everything of that with a grain of salt and also there's a thousand other like things that that, that unrolls right like okay but maybe she wasn't murdered maybe it was a a, a misabortion but right. then you go back to the body then you go back to the body and so that's the interesting thing about this case is that um this is the 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 theory that really sticks if you look it up it's often cited as an uh, an example of a botched abortion right where the woman dies um and in part in part that is because of one of the the authors that used to frequent the cigar shop and and what they he did with with the story just as Mrs. Loss's story is coming out um, in the papers is also the time when Edgar Allan Poe is publishing the end of his serialized story based on this case. Mm. Um, it's called uh, the it's called the mystery of Marie Roger. It's like a thinly veiled, you know, same story. And in it, it, you know, initially he's clearly going for like the idea that it was a sailor. Right, who committed this murder? Um, in later editions, because of the new information that came out, like within moments of his, because it was a serialized publication, within moments of his final installment, um, he would like tweak it in future publications to like make it a little bit more ambiguous. Was it 
an abortion? Was it mm. the sailor? And I think because of that, it really solidifies in people's mind that it has to be this the story of a botched abortion. But then what of the fingerprints around yeah, the neck? There's just so much. What of the, the clear two signs of strangulation? Yeah. Um, and frustratingly, it is unsolved to this day. No one's ever fully tried. No one's really charged. It sort of eventually peters out as a cold case and becomes, I think, solved in public opinion in a lot of ways because of this literary legacy. Um, and it does actually have a number of other literary legacies. So it's um, inspiration for an 1844 novel, The Beautiful Cigar Girl, 1851's Confessions of the Awful and Bloody Transactions of Charles Wallace. Um, and... Uh, and it also results in a number of like legislative acts. So um, in 1845, there's the Police Reform Act, which uh, results in a transfer from relying on marshals and night watchmen to a full-time police force. Mm. And that's partially because of the outcry that where is the investigative, you know, ha- where, where is the investigation on this woman's death? Um, it also saw laws around adultery, around various forms of seduction, quote unquote, and around, quote, abduction for moral purposes, as opposed for the moral purposes. Um, And it also results in stricter abortion laws as well. And this is all tied to this case. But um, yeah, that it it remains unsolved. And I'm wondering, do you have, do you have theories? I, 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 I don't know. I, I physically, I literally don't know what happens to this girl. Um, I kind of don't believe the botched abortion. I don't either. Because it pays no attention to the strangulation. Right. Unless you're trying to say that abortion was botched and she's so far gone that instead of watching her like bleed out or something, they they decided to like choke her out. But we, we're, we're starting to get like so in the right. thick of like fantasy. Like yeah. there's a lot of circumstantial things I need to like be... Um, I think that um certainly that the the spot near Weehawken is clearly staged. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know why it's clearly staged. That does make me think that um, what's her face, Mrs. Lost, Mrs. Lost does have like something to some vested interest in this case in some sort of way. I don't believe she's murdered in New York. I, Interesting. Okay. I think she's murdered in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Though I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Right. I just think that um. Do we think Mrs. Loss has a vested interest in this case and she has staged it? Or do you think someone staged it and she happens upon it? Oh, I don't know. I don't know enough about, we don't know enough about her. Yeah. To like kind of make that I, statement. Right? I think that's fair too. Yeah. Um, I, but I don't know. I, maybe she, I mean, for me, in three days, can a body float from New York to Hoboken? I, I suppose so. So yeah. maybe I'm wrong with that. I don't know. I think that um, this is a real doozy of a case. It's it probably, is. maybe one of my favorite ones that we've covered because um, it's just a few, it's a few pieces off from something being a perfect like. Yes. Yeah, this is what it is. Yeah. Every time you like, oh, this has to be this. There's always one loose end. Like, but yes. how? And honestly, I think some of the loose ends too. I think have to do with the fact that there are enough people who seem to have strong alibis right so Payne seems to have a strong alibi he's got like four affidavits yeah. um you know this sailor there's only circumstantial evidence to connect him at all um I think you know one possibility that has been raised is okay if it is the botched abortion then some things might fall into place like maybe you know Phoebe and 
pain, not really reacting like as a shock to the idea that someone found her body because maybe they knew she was going yeah. for this and they were like, oh God, please the, don't let it be this. The autobus thing. Yep, exactly. That's clearly a lie. That's a lie. Right? Um, there's a lot of that, that the, the abortion spot of it that leaves open a lot of room mm-hmm. for um, some of the deception and some of the needs. And like going to Cromelin and being, and like leaving those weird notes yeah, and being yeah. like, hey, I need help. Yeah. That opens a lot too. So, I mean, for all we know, it could be some sort of amalgamation of, of it all. But it is weird because then again, like you said, why, why strangle her? Why, if she's dying, like why not ease or like, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Why? Or maybe, yeah, or maybe like that's what she was on her way to do and then she got Something else horrible happened Something to her. That's like, also possible, mean, like, right? Maybe it is a combination of various things various here. Various things, like just all these things just happened to her. And yeah, it's, oof. Want a wanna hot take? That yeah, I yeah. don't really think. But we have that heard of Christina we, hot take in a got while. Got a Christina so hot take. Let's hear it. I think Padley did it. Padley did Cromlin, it. his beloved, has been so deeply wounded by her Padley. rebuff that Padley just, just took care of it. My word. Hot take from Christina. We need to sting still. Christina's hot take. Hot take. It's a sizzle. <laughs> well, there you have it. That you that have was it. a doozy, folks. Do you want to hear one last poem about her? <laughs> yes. Do you want to read the last poem about Clearly, her? Clearly, as we as we close. So, just as in life, um, she inspired poetry. This was written in 1841 about her death. It's an anonymous poem. Oh, shield me from that fearful sight, that crime of darkest, blackest night. Appalling even the brave, wild shriek on shriek and prayer, O oh prayer, and deepest curses mingle there. O oh God, in pity save. Who heeds the shrieks, poor helpless maid? There is no arm with strength to aid, no heart that has the will. One last wild cry that reaches heaven, one bitter prayer for mercy given, tis past and all is still. Alas! The scene is passing fair, yet foul pollution revels there, and crime too black for name, far, far from all whose arm might save, welcome the cold and the bloody grave that hides a wretch's shame. That's the tale of Mary Rogers. Um, There are a couple of really great books, if anyone's interested. The Beautiful Cigar Girl, Mary Rogers, Edgar Allan Poe, and The Invention of Murder by Daniel Stashower. And Mary Cecilia Rogers and the Real Life Inspiration of Edgar Allan Poe's Marie Roget by Wallace Edwards. Um, as always, if you're interested, uh, if you have any theories, we love to hear your theories. Hit us up on social media um, at NY Mystery Machine on Facebook and uh, Instagram at NY Mysteries on Twitter. And you guys know what we do at the end of the season. At the end of the season, we take all of your theories and we talk all about them. We dive back into the cases. I'm sure this may be one of those cases that we dive yeah. right back into. Um, so if you, have any, if you have more of a long form theory, you can also email us at nymysterymachine at gmail.com. And uh, that'll be part of that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, thank you, Christine. That's a good. I feel like this is going to be every season. We have a couple of missing piece people cases that like really like people writing about. Yeah, I feel this is going to be one of those one of those where murders. People are going to be like, I have a thought, I have a theory because I think, I hope so. Yeah, I want this solved. I think you gave a, a. I think you gave a lot of our listeners and myself um, 
a lot of half roadmaps mm-hmm. that, that they can do some of the work and yeah. kind of figure out their own theories and their ideas. So uh, I've been out of maze. I've been Christina Manelli. And thank you for taking a ride on the New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall, but for ghosts. <laughs>